everybody. Welcome to Amateur Cast, where we act like we know what we're talking about. My name is Sebastian Limon. I make videos on YouTube for Abdel Entertainment and other things. And I am joined with two great friends of mine, Colby Leapings. Hi there, everybody. And Alex Papke. Hi, everybody. Guys, we are on episode three. I am proud of us. Uh, we are keep going, even though, again, no one is listening. <laughs> This might be our last episode, like Season we said, finale. but we'll see. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to Kobe's mom. Shout out. I <laughs> love you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the three episodes of Amateur Cast. There will be no more after this. <laughs> I can assure you. Um, That's a joke. No, but how are we doing? <laughs> That's a good joke, guys. Please, please listen to episode four. Please. <laughs> we, we need How are we money. doing? Pretty yeah. good, honestly. I mean, not mm-hmm. much to do. Still quarantine, but yeah. <laughs> we're we're hanging out. Yeah, I hear that we're like not that far away though from like actually being out of quarantine, which is good. Hopefully, hopefully, and then we could record in the same room. Yeah, that would be amazing. If you can't <laughs> tell from those listening, yes, we are not yeah. in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you ruined the magic! Oh, no. Oh, we are no. social distancing. Just like yeah, Kermit the Frog is not a real frog. <gasps> Wait. It's not? Hold, hold on. Uh, Pause the podcast. What are you talking? What do you mean? Uh, oh. Wait. Wait. I, like, run. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, like uh, You hang up. Yeah, I just hang up. I'm like, wait. You're like, thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for watching. Kermit's not I real. I mean, listening. And, um, bye. No, um... Uh, but one one upside of quarantine for me, at least, has been having so much more time to watch movies because mm-hmm. now I don't have to, you know, get up for school every single morning. Uh, so I have been staying up late doing a lot of double features. I've done like at yeah. least at least two double feature nights a week uh, wow. for the last month or so. It's been it's been very fun. I've been catching up on my watch list a lot. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, so is yeah, that yeah, the yeah. maximum amount you've watched in a week? I mean, in a day is two? I think, like, ever in my life I've watched, like, three or four movies in a day. But usually I, I don't have the attention we span did. for that. I'll... That's true. We we did watch, like, four movies in one day. Or at least three and a half, because we did not finish year one. Year one. <laughs> no, that's awesome, bro. Um, Do you, like, not wake up for school? Like, you guys don't have Zoom calls? Well, I do, but it's not every day. It's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's not like so early then, in the morning? Like once a week. It is, but it's on Tuesdays and Thursdays I can sleep in, so uh, nice. Monday and Wednesday nights I'll stay up and watch a bunch of movies. Sweet. Yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, that's the jam. What about you, Seb? How have you been? I've been okay. Yeah, just... Uh, I'm not gonna lie, there are definitely moments I'm like, crap. Someone... Would be nice. It would be nice to have someone with me here. You know what I mean? Like, or just yeah. to be with someone. Yeah. And yeah. for those who don't know, I'm a major introvert. I really prefer to be on my own and just watch a movie. Or like, that's my ideal weekend. But I'm at the point where I would like to be with friends. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought you're gonna say just if anybody doesn't know, I'm majorly single. <laughs> I thought I thought so too. <laughs> I that thought you were gonna say I'm single. Majorly single. <laughs> We all are, and except like, for Colby. 
Colby. Mm. All of all of us except one. Well, me and Seb have been married for some years now, but that's not recognized in most uh, countries because you know we're wanted. So, okay, oh. no, convicted felons. Oh, so, oh hey, so am um, I. So oh, that, really? Um, that's we have so much in common. Don't give so yourselves away. <laughs> Speaking of um, convicted felons. We watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> how how is that related that at all? <laughs> Definitely not a segue. <laughs> <laughs> name name one convicted felon in that movie. The um, the painting. I don't know. <laughs> the painter. What? The girls in the beginning of the movie. I don't know. The, yeah, they the, definitely did the something. Students? The students. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the students. Well, yep, ladies and gentlemen, uh, today we are going to be talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, because... That is a movie that came out last year that we felt did not get enough attention, um, but was like really, really cool and revolutionary, and and uh, we just wanted to talk about it and kind of shed some more light on it and hopefully get it a few more viewers, um, or at least get our moms to watch it, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she already did. My mom watched it. Wow, me. really? Nice. It's a little intense. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little that's a little intense. Um, and then after Portrait of a Lady on Fire, we're going to be talking about our favorite movies of last year, of 2019. We're a bit late. We're like six months into 2020 already. <laughs> but you know what? That means that we've had more time to think about them and analyze them. And I have flip-flopped yes. on which one is my favorite like four times, but I landed on one <laughs> yesterday for this podcast. Um, literally yesterday, yeah, the psycho. Literally yesterday, I texted these guys <laughs> like, hey, I know you've been preparing for me to talk about this other movie. But here's a curveball. I'm going to talk about a different Freaking one. Jerk. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, what do you guys think of... By the way, this is non-spoilers for Portrait of a Lady yes. on Fire. It's on Hulu if you have Hulu. Watch yes, it. We and it's highly gonna be recommend on that you watch it. Criterion Blu-ray in the summer, I think. Ooh. That's so, exciting. <laughs> yeah. Criterion. God bless them. No, but... um. Yeah, what did you guys think of the movie? Um, I thought it was pretty freaking memorable, <laughs> I guess is the best word to describe it. Because yeah. after you watch this movie, it sticks with you, man. It sticks mm-hmm. with you for days after. We were just talking about this before we started recording. But I watched this movie like late at night. Um, I think I started it at like, midnight the first time I watched it. And I was like, why did I do this? But I went to sleep afterwards. I was like, that was pretty good. I woke up the next morning and I was like, whoa, I can't get this out of my head. You know, mm-hmm. it just sticks with you. And I feel like it's visually so memorable because it has such like stark colors and just such beautiful cinematography. Almost um, every shot yeah, feels I like a feel painting like, in itself. Yes, absolutely. It's pretty great. Um, which is obviously relevant to the subject yes. matter of the movie because oh, it's oh, about a painter. <gasps> whoa. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we can get a little bit more spoilery than it's about a painter. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a portrait. And guess what? She might be on fire. <laughs> she is on fire. She may or may not be on fire. <laughs> At some point in the movie, she might just combust. Oh no. <laughs> she might just combust. No, Beer. but um um people say that about many shots and beautiful cinematography and movies that they look like paintings but for here it was clearly purposeful and clearly right, yeah. trying to emulate the look of a painting with everything right. looking flat and just the vibrant colors and just so much density and what's on the screen it mm-hmm. it was 
And not only that, like, I, I really appreciated, it reminded me a bit of, like, the filmmaking of Call Me By Your Name, where the filmmaking yeah. is not trying to call so much attention to itself. It's more about what's present uh, mm-hmm. and what's being filmed is enough. You know what I mean? You don't need yeah. these crazy transitions. Not that these are transitions are bad, obviously. There's filmmakers no. like Edgar Simple. Wright, who does great transitions, or sure. like Martin Scorsese who can really move the camera great, but right. in terms of the story that's being told here, all you need is the atmosphere, the landscape, the locations, the sets, and the costumes and the actors, or actresses in this case. And, um, you know what I mean? Like, it, But it's not just, it's not like it's not there, the filmmaking. It's a great blend of not being show-offy, but still purposeful. Yes. And it's, um, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's shot pretty simply in the sense that most of the shots are static mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with a few tracking shots. But um, like you said, it reflects a painting. So even in these like very simple sort of flat static shot, uh, shots, um, I mean, it's literally one, like the hugely contrasting colors are beautiful in this movie, especially any shot where they're up against the ocean, which is like oh. half of them are Mm -hmm. incredible chef's kiss chef's kiss a verbal (laughs) chef's kiss Mm. um i'm just singing the song from ratatouille i don't know how to how it goes but go ahead colby i'm sorry um also french but um not not just the colors but even in the composition of the shots they're framed like renaissance paintings oh my god yeah yeah i mean it yeah they say every frame of painting as a way of saying every frame good, but in this shot, in this movie, I mean, it literally is every frame is composed like a painting rather than mm-hmm. a, a typical movie shot, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, reflects the mindset of the the lead character who is a portrait painter um, yeah. and sort of puts you in their perspective and how they see the world in this very, like, beautiful and artistic and colorful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, yeah, like, because we're not really trying to say spoilers here, but I'm just trying to be as... How do I say? Not not so specific as possible, but anytime we see her painting or drawing, it's just so aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. the way the brush sounds on the canvas. and uh, uh, I don't know. I love... Mm-hmm. Therapeutic. It's very therapeutic, yeah. It's just... Yeah. yeah. I love movies that put you in the perspective of the artist, of the creator, and just like seeing it unfold. It was just... Yeah. It was so engaging. Like, it's a slow burn, definitely. It's a very slow mm-hmm. movie, but not once that I really feel bored. It's just so engaging because of yeah the facial expressions of the actresses, who they are. And obviously, as someone that appreciates not just filmmaking, but painting, drawing, and all that, just to see it come to life like that, it's... Yeah, yeah. it was wonderful. Yeah. And the editing in those scenes that you're talking about where you see her drawing on her canvas are really... They're really interestingly edited because they do that thing where, you know, it's it's one static shot, but it keeps it keeps cut like jump cutting forward. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to show that like time is passing and to show how how long she's working on this and how how much uh, time and effort she's putting into it. Um, but it's also just like a really cool way of it just looks good. Like at, at a yeah. simple level, like it just time lapse. Yeah. At a simple level, it just looks nice. Like you just watch it and you're like, ooh, like I. I, okay, it's just a line. Okay, well now it's like two lines. Oh wait, oh, 
Oh, there's an ear. Oh, it's a fit. Oh, and you start to see it come together, and you're yeah. like, ooh, yeah. this is good. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Perhaps you have anything to say about it? Yeah, I really liked how the characters are presented. They're not... The movie itself doesn't, like, explain who they are, but you just kind of, like... You learn about them just by watching how they live. You're, nothing's, like, revealed to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah, it's The it's characters very are very just... You don't know anything about them, so you're kind of in the position of the painter herself because she doesn't know anything about her. So she's kind of mysterious, and I really like that mm-hmm. they did that that way. And, yeah, the ending scene. We're not going to talk about it, but... Great ending. Crazy, crazy ending. So, um, Patrick H. Willems, if you guys know him, he's a really great YouTube yeah. uh, film critic, film analyst. Um, his letterbox review of this movie was simply... I did not breathe for the last couple minutes. Yeah, for real. And that describes the ending sequence very well. But uh, so beautiful. Alex, I was gonna mention the same thing you did about about uh, the characters and the way they're introduced. I feel like mm-hmm. the character entrances in this movie, and this is something I, I noted when I watched it the second time, and I wrote down. They're so memorable and just kind of iconic. Um, yeah. The way both char- both of the two main characters, uh, Heloise and Marianne, are are introduced in this movie both of their like entrance scenes are very very both like revealing about their character without having basically any exposition exactly yeah it's awesome i love it like you know who they are just by what they're doing yeah but um like marianne is you know her characteristics are she's very like bold and sort of blunt and she's very like dedicated to her craft um Mm -hmm. so the very first sequence of this movie one you see her teaching an art class which you go okay she's an artist but then um you see her she's this isn't a spoiler but she's on a boat and she drops her canvas off the side of the boat and it goes into the water and she's in like this big like beautiful poofy dress but the other guys on the boat like don't go for it for her so she just like okay she rolls up her sleeves and she jumps in the water and goes to swim and get it doesn't hesitate and the waves are like harsh in this scene like they make an effort to show you that first but yeah, she's very like bold and determined to get done what she's gonna get done into like to her craft of painting. And then Heloise's reveal is this very like she comes off as like mythic. Um, because yeah. mm-hmm. for the first couple scenes of the movie they keep talking about her, but they won't show you to her. Mm-hmm. Or they won't show her to you. And they there's even a scene where um the third main character walks in, who I don't I think it's Sophie is her name, the servant girl. Yeah, I think so. Uh she walks in holding the dress and they've been talking about Heloise and and this dress that she wears so it's the shot starts at Sophie's feet yeah and she's holding the dress um where it it goes down to her ankles so until it pans all the way up to her head it totally looks like this is Heloise walking in wearing the green dress yeah until it pans up and you realize it's Sophie and she's just holding the dress in front of her Mm -hmm. and you're you're like oh I still don't see Heloise it's crazy Mm -hmm. and so then they go on this walk outside and all of the shots of Heloise are from behind you don't you don't get to see her face for a couple minutes she has a cloak yeah when you but then they slowly show you more and more of her like her hair and then her ears and so it's building up to like who is this person and then she starts running which uh sort of again not going into spoilers but sort of throughout the movie reflects this this general theme of how she desires freedom from being trapped in this house for so long. So um, the first thing we see of her is her running, and then after like five or six minutes, we see her face. 
Yeah. And just that buildup gives her this very, like, mythic and mysterious quality, and we want to know more about her. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that I noticed, too. There's nothing, like, oh, I'm someone that likes to go on adventures and do that. You know what I mean? Like, there's not, like you said, there's nothing of exposition from them. It's just their actions, and you're able to see who these people are. Oh, God. Terrible voice crack. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah, I, I wrote that down, too, that, that I was able to notice that. And, um, I mean, come on, show, don't tell, right? That's classic showing, don't telling, so wonderful stuff. Yeah. What do you guys rate it? Or do you still want to talk about it? <laughs> oh, yeah, is there anything else to say about the movie, by the way? Well, we should we should mention the costume design, which oh, is just fantastic. crazy good. I mean, that the every dress that they wear in this movie is so memorable. And we sort of talked last episode when we talked about Emma, um... The, the 2020 Emma movie, uh, Emma period, uh, which is how, you know, Victorian movies always get these, you know, are always known for their big costumes, but they kind of always just have the same like Victorian dress. Um, this movie does not fall into that. This movie has such like iconic and like stark looking uh, costumes that are just so memorable. That, that green dress sticks with me that Heloise wears. But at the same time, it's not over the top. Like, look no, at me. definitely not. It's very just attracts your eye. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, like, it still seems like something somebody could wear at that time. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, this thought came up to me. Besides your favorite, or the movie that you want to talk about, Colby, all the movies that we're going to talk about kind of have to relate to this quarantine. Yeah. In some way. Yeah, I noticed the same thing when watching this movie that, oh, this kind of has a lot of connections to the other movies we're going to talk about uh, in this episode. <laughs> yeah, so we'll get back to that, but... That's something that I noticed when watching all. I'm like, oh my gosh, this has to relate to us being in quarantine in some way. And that's awesome. No, but um, anything else to say about the movie? Um, well, just that, you know, we've talked about how the costume design and the, the cinematography are so simple but effective. And so revealing like every moment without giving too much exposition. And I think that kind of just applies to the whole movie. But um, one thing that I noticed was just how good the screenplay is. And... This movie was, I think it won the the Cannes Film Festival Award yeah. for uh, Best Screenplay. Um, and when you watch this movie, especially on rewatching it, you just realize, like, this is a very simple screenplay. There's not big, flashy uh, uh, writing. You know, this isn't like a Sorkin script, uh, like we were talking about, um, I think it was in our first episode, like these big, flashy, um, you know, uses of the language, like this literary prowess. It's very simply written, but every sentence that these characters say... Uh, is so revealing and so effective. Yeah, it's the way they say it. Mm -hmm. And the pauses they take that really make it, like, yeah. special. There's a lot of pauses in the movie. Yeah, yeah long <laughs> long pauses and longing gazes. And, yeah. They're just like, oop. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, was one, there was one scene in the movie that I thought that the screenplay in this scene specifically just blew me away, which is where the three main characters are reading the story of... Um, what is it? Eurydice? How do you say that name? It's like a Greek. Oh, it's a Greek yeah, story. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know um, how to pronounce it either. Sure, or of Orpheus, I think that could totally be could wrong. be Orpheus, but something like that. Some some in some Greek name, uh, Kastapapalopoulos. <laughs> I don't know, but um, Odysseus. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. They're reading the story, and the story, like they all know it, and you know it, but no one's saying it. How the story reflects them, and how they're the what they each choose to take away from the story reflects like 
just how they are, like what kind of people they are, the way they each interpret it differently. It's such a such a good scene that just is so simple, but like reveals so much about these characters. And that's why I love it. Because they're not like, hey, look, that's how I feel. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's just there. That's why I'm, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're not saying too much about it again because we're really trying not to spoil the movie. But but again, it's it's wonderful. It's well shot, obviously, uh, well acted, very well written, and the ending is just yeah, it's awesome. And it's all in French. It's all in French. That's right. It is all in French. Um, don't let that turn you off. Too many people are like, oh yeah, I'll check out that movie. Thanks for the recommendation. And then you go, oh, by the way, it's French, and they're like, oh, do I have to watch subtitles? I don't want to read while I watch a movie, guys. You can read, all right? <laughs> you can read or, you know, learn the language. Learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to learn the language? Then read the subtitles. Like, relax. There's nothing wrong with reading subtitles in a movie. If you if you get over that one-inch barrier, as Bong Joon-ho said it in his uh, Golden Globe speech, I think it was, Yeah. Uh, you will just open yourself up to so many more movies that you're going to miss out on if you refuse to watch them because they have subtitles. He literally called America illiterate, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. I love Bong. Speaking of Bong, uh, wait, before Bong. <laughs> before that, was, Bong. that was such a good segue. <laughs> I know. Before Bong, Dang. what would you guys rate uh, the film? Nine out of ten. I, I think I'd have to go with a nine as well. Yeah, definitely. I'd go with a nine out of ten. It's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, it's definitely a slow movie. It's not something that I could watch anytime I want to. I would definitely need to be in the mood for it. But yeah, it's it's slow and it's intense, so you kind of have to be in the right mood for it. Yeah. Um, but it does have really good enough pacing that it doesn't feel too slow. You yeah, yeah. You're not bored. Uh, you don't like you know feel the time passing by. It it has good pacing and you you know it'll yeah. feel short. Yeah, you're, it you're is never a pretty bored intense by it. Movie. But I I can see myself watching it like late and not in the mood for it and being like I can't finish this right now. So yeah. and it's very emotionally draining. It, yeah, that too. Awesome. So yeah, guys, watch Portrait of Lady on Fire. It's on Hulu, if you have Hulu. If you don't have Hulu, um, buy it. I don't know. Get the free trial. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, get the free trial. That's what I did. And I think, I hope this is right. If not, you should probably cut this out. But I think the next movie we're going to talk about, which is Alex's pick for her favorite movie of 2019, is also on Hulu. Yeah, segway. it is. Did I, did I save the segue? Did I do oh it? Oh my God. <laughs> you saved the segue. And what movie is that? Parasite. Well, it's yours, so okay. <laughs> Green Book? Oh. You're like, um. Green Book. <laughs> I heard Green Book. I'm like, perhaps no. Green Book, imagine Green if I just book. pulled it in. That's not like, even 2019. I feel like this movie almost needs no introduction because it's such a huge phenomenon at this point. I know. We are going to be going spoilers for Parasite. Yes. This is for sure spoilers. If you haven't seen Parasite, why haven't you seen Parasite? It literally won Best Picture. Go watch Parasite and then come back and listen to us analyze it so you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. You can just sit back and relax. We'll tell you what The Rock means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, if you haven't seen Parasite, essentially what it's about is it's about a lower class family and a higher class family, both in South Korea. And the lower class family is dealing with a lot of financial troubles and they're all out of work. They're all unemployed. And basically, the son of the lower class family gets an opportunity to become a tutor for a girl in the higher class family. And so yeah, he start, he gets the job there and then slowly but surely, each of the family members of the lower class family 
get jobs working for the higher class family. But the thing is, no one in the higher class family knows that the lower class family is related. So all their employees aren't related. I mean, are related, but they don't know that they're related. So it's this big facade. They're, you know, slowly infiltrating the higher class family. Yeah, exactly. Without them knowing. You could say they're a parasite. Oh! oh! Roll credits. That's the podcast, Spoiler! everyone. We did it. We Just analyzed kidding. it. <laughs> Thanks Thank for watching you. and listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. Damn. But anyways, yeah. So stuff goes down and it gets pretty. A lot intense. of stuff goes down. Yeah. Stuff goes downhill and real fast. <laughs> real fast. They learn some secrets that aren't so so good. That impact both families. But why this is my favorite movie of 2019 is um, probably, I mean, the subject matter. Um, it's just really unique in, a, in the way of, like, kind of the theme and what it says about society. And obviously, yeah, the upper and lower class. But I really like how it talks about, like how when how good people can kind of turn bad if that makes sense like how people can be good people but when they're desperate and in need of resources they will go to the ends and lose their morals to do whatever it takes to survive and it's kind of scary because this story is kind of realistic in a way obviously it's like dramatized but it could happen and it has happened like forgery and you know stuff like that where you really don't know who's working for you and you can't trust everybody completely and yeah and also I just really like the script it's very 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 cleverly written and it has to be a screenplay baby yes Woo! Uh, I love the screenplay and yeah it basically has to be because this family wouldn't get away with a lot of the schemes they do without like great dialogue and great blocking. Blocking's really, really, really important in this film. And I appreciate it so much. Being like a <laughs> a theater kid, blocking is so important to me. So yeah, what do you guys think about it? Oh, well, you were talking about, you know, thematically, um, how it basically is just about how you can be corrupted uh, because of your greed. And like, I think, I've seen this movie three times now, uh, twice in the theaters, once at home, because I bought the Blu-ray immediately after I saw it. Um, I think I pre-ordered it, but, uh, first couple times I saw it in theaters, I, you know, I, I kept trying to nail down the theme, um, and I kept trying to nail it down mm -hmm. to a specific situation, like, economic, like, a certain economic situation or a certain political agenda, but I feel like the third time I watched it, I really started to grasp the universality of this movie, and that's what's great about it, is it's, it's not... It's saying a lot of things, but overall, it really just has a very broad theme of greed corrupts absolutely. Every character in this movie, every character, pretty much without fail, is corrupted by the love of money, by the desire for money. Um, and it touches on how those who are oppressed, once they become powerful, will become oppressors themselves, and how, you know, the power dynamics the uh, of money um, in any economy you know, will have this vicious cycle. Um, because the poor family starts very sympathetic 
and then the longer the movie goes on, you're like, okay, like they're kind of doing illegal things, but we still sort of root for them because they're the underdog, you know? And it's kind of fun. Yeah, once they're on top, and there's a whole scene where they specifically clarify to you, these guys are now on top. They're living like kings. They're drinking, they're snacking in other people's homes. You know, the, the rainstorm scene when the family's out camping. Um, suddenly they meet a family below them. So they, they now have power over a family like this other family once had power over them. And they become just as cruel and, uh, you know, they have the same sort of superiority complex. And it's just about how, you know, that power corrupts absolutely. Um, the, the oppressors or the oppressed have gained power and become the oppressors. No, yeah. And the screen, yeah, the screenplay, like you said, is so interesting in the way it's structured. I know. It's so funny. It's so th- thriller. It's it becomes like scary sometimes. Action. It's like, like, what? The genre, yeah, the genre changes so many times, but, like, naturally. Like, whatever emotions they're feeling, you feel, too. And there's one big shift moment, sort of, in the midpoint of the movie. Kind of at the exact midpoint of the movie, actually, where the first half of it is, like, a very funny satire. And then, really quickly, it shifts into a very intense thriller. And what's great is that the comedic satire still has thrilling moments... And the, the thriller still has comedic moments. Yeah, so this is like this consistent tone, but different level of genres at play here, which is yes, a lot of what a lot of Japanese films are really great for. And, this is um, a Korean movie, though. Or, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of the foreign films, I mean. Like a lot of oh, more foreign films film? just seem to know how to blend genres more than at least American films can do. But um, not in all cases, obviously, but I've noticed that with the films that I've seen personally. But um, one thing that I loved about, because like, you were saying how the, the, those who, the, the poor family kind of become, you know, they be, at some point they become the corrupted a bit. I love how the rich people here aren't like bad people they're not sure they're just yeah, rich people really who nice are people. completely distant from reality but they're not bad people mm-hmm. they're good people they're yeah they're privileged and they're ignorant yeah but they're not like evil they're not yeah. like mustache twirling yes they're not yeah, yeah yeah they're just you know what i mean like yeah. um same with the the poor people they're not like completely sad or oppressed or any i mean sure they are in the terms of their wealth and and in terms of uh, where they live, but and uh, mm-hmm. who they are, it's it's very. Uh, I, I don't know, like there not, there's nothing stereotyped in the movie at all, which is what I love about it, and it's very subtle. And when I meant that all these movies, besides Colby's ferret, we'll get into later, has like relates to the quarantine times. The moment, the scene when uh, after it rains. When the the father and the the two children leave the house and it starts pouring all over their home and flooding their home and the streets. And for the rich, it's kind of like, it's nothing for them. It's just another mm-hmm. night yeah. of rain. They enjoy it. She, yeah, they enjoy it. Yeah, she wakes up pleasant. saying, oh, look at how beautiful it looks. Let's have a party. What a blessing this rain was. And for the poor, that was the worst thing that could ever happen to them. They yeah. lost their homes. They had to live in, not live, but they had to sleep in that gymnasium pile up all the clothes which kind of reminds me of how we are now with this quarantine some people are kind of enjoying themselves in this quarantine being inside their homes allowing time for them to grow 
to artistically express themselves, maybe even get financial help, you know? And some people, this is the worst thing that could happen to them. They have lost their jobs. They are in homes that people are, broken homes, people that are abused. You know what I mean? Like some people escape their homes. Some people do not want to be at home because they're abused or it's just they have no food. They're just not connected with their families. And it's just... It just reminds me of like the celebrities singing Imagine. You know what I mean? It's like you are so, so distant from reality. You have no idea yeah. how good you guys have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. like and like in Parasite, the intentions are nice. Yeah, the intentions you know? are nice, but it's like you don't have no idea. Like they're they're nice, but they're just so ignorant to the to the problems of the people below them because they're benefiting from this system. It's, oh, it's so interesting. But heck yeah, dude, relevance. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's so and I I love God, there's just so much to love about the movie. I just love how so much. um not only in the beginning, like you said, it starts up like this fun satirical movie about i don't know what would you say it's kind of a comedy of manners it's yeah right well, it's, i would say for, for the beginning it's sort of a reverse comedy yeah, of manners because it really it's is. about the poor family and then when they enter the rich family there's a lot of comedy that comes from the mother being kind of ditzy yeah and the way that they lie about the son when the daughter is like oh that's the schizophrenia corner of the painting like that stuff kills dude me. that part has me rolling yeah so metaphorical so metaphorical <laughs> i love that i love that repeated line in the movie so metaphorical because it's it's hilarious but it's also I very know. revealing about kiwi's character that and just it's clear that there's so many metaphors in this movie too it's all metaphorical. you know what i mean it's just it's kind, kind of, of a like meta line. it's kind of yeah it's yeah. like a very meta line yeah, yeah. like all oh, this movie is so metaphorical what you're watching because is so metaphorical and on it one is. hand, yeah. On one hand, the joke comes from the fact that to the characters it isn't metaphorical. Mm-hmm. It's also revealing about Kibu's character because it shows that he's kind of like he thinks really highly of these people, and he thinks everything is a metaphor when really it's not. But then, even on a third level above that, it actually is metaphorical to the audience, just not really to the con- to like to the characters in the context of the movie. Stuff like the the stone. It's oh, such yeah. a great example. The first, like one in the first scene when um, his friend, when Kiwi's friend gives him the stone, the first thing he, he says when he looks at it is, it's so metaphorical. And kind of the joke is, to him, it's not. It's just a rock. Yeah. But it actually, that rock is like the greatest metaphor in the movie. And it keeps repeating too. Like, it comes up throughout. Mm-hmm. Which is basically false. Um, what is it? False. Uh... Oh my god! What is, false promises? I think false promises. False promises I would say like of, false of wealth, wealth, false promises. Because it's a yeah. fake rock. It's not like it's like a actual stone. I mean, obviously it's it's a rock, but it's not like as real as what the friend said. Because at some point you see the the rock floating in the water. Yeah. And so it's kind of like because the friend bring in the beginning of the film the friend a friend of the family the poor family brings them a rock for like good wealth and good blessing, and as the film goes on you think okay they're being wealthy they're they're this rock kind of came true with them kind of infiltrating this house and being a parasite. Oh my God. No, but, um, (laughs) no, but, um, at some point, obviously when they find the family that lives inside the rich home, things just get worse from there. And so when we get to the rain sequence where the house is flooded, they see the rock floating or at least the audience sees the rocks floating, which and it's never told to you that it's a fake rock or like the rock is not 100% accurate or real. We just see it and we're like, oh, 
So it's kind of like saying the family was brought in false hope, was brought in false wealth. It's all a facade. Mm-hmm. And which is why at the end, I don't, I don't remember the names, but the the main boy wasn't killed by the rock. Right. I thought, oh my God, he's dead. He smashed his head. That part's yeah, sure. funny too. That's a good example of how. Yeah, it's that's like that's a very dark, comedic, comedic part. Yeah, that part literally the first time I laughed out loud. It is when a very dark him, comedy. When he throws, oh bro, I don't, know, I gasped. No, when okay, when he kills it the first time, and then he's just standing there, and it's like. Oh, and he oh, throws it again. Like, <laughs> yeah, the second. Dang, time. really? I gasped. But it, even that, even that furthers this metaphor of the rock because, like you said, it's fake. You know, and, you know, logistically, like from a from a standpoint of like the logic behind the movie, like that's why he survives getting bashed in the head with it. But him getting beaten with this rock. I mean, literally, he takes the stone and he thinks this is going to give me wealth. And the, the stone is a physical manifestation of his desire for great wealth. And then literally he gets beaten half to death with that stone. Not too. Because yeah. his desire for great wealth, his obsession with money, his greed is his downfall. It's, it's like such a literal metaphor, but it's still so subtle. The first time I saw the movie, I didn't get it. And I think that's what my friends have said personally is, you know, people walk out of this movie in my experience and they're like, I liked it. I didn't get the rock though. Like that seems to be the one thing <laughs> you kind of have to rewatch it at like multiple times to get like how dense the metaphor is behind this stone. Same with the lines, like crossing the line. They, they, uh, many moments, the dad, the rich the rich dad mentions the line, you know, uh, he's a good man, but his smell crosses the line. Like, there are many moments they mention that. And if you watch it a second or third time, you can see little subtle things of characters literally crossing the line. Yeah, like visually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a literal line on the wall. Literal the line floor. on the wall or like a mirror or like a, it's, it's, and it's great. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, good for you, Bong. Good for you. The cinematography is really good, too. I don't know if we talked about that, but it's so good. Insanely good. What's crazy about Bong Joon-ho is he's so meticulous and precise. He storyboarded this entire movie as he wrote it before they started filming, and they didn't do any extra coverage shots, or at least they did very little. Um, He knew what every shot of this movie should look like as they shot it. And you can tell it's really specific, especially like the blocking. Like when someone's walking downstairs and someone happens to turn the corner and then someone else enters this way. Like it's so well thought out that it's so satisfying to watch. Mm -hmm. Because it's like you almost know that they're going to get away when they're almost caught. But then you're like, are they going to get caught? Okay, I knew they weren't. Oh, you mean when the family is getting back from the camp? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that scene. Oh my God, that scene was amazing. Like, the way the camera was flowing through the kitchen as the mom was making the, the, the noodles and they were putting the family... The most intense beef chopping I've ever yeah. seen in a movie. <laughs> Honestly. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say that. Just the fact... It's like, that's comedic, too, because the whole family's fighting off trying to clean up and she's just making a noodles. Just like... <laughs> exactly. That's so funny. And also, can I say... The the scene with the tuberculosis and the peach. <laughs> oh, my my favorite scene of 2019. So, so good. It's so, like, suspenseful that when you see the tissue, you, like, I laughed out loud. I, I clapped. We go, ah! <laughs> like, they did it! Yeah, and he p- brings out the tissue with the fake blood, and I, I clapped. 
I clapped. It was awesome. Me too. You can't not be so hyped for that. That was the one moment in my theater that made the entire audience bust up laughing and just go, oh, like I get it. Like when he when he drops the the hot sauce and looks back at the at the mom. <laughs> yes. Everybody just exploded. Like they did it. The mom's face it was crazy. Too was so funny. <laughs> oh, her face is that actress. Her facial expressions are so funny. Her, I love her character. Her character's so funny. I mean, the performances in this movie, every one of them is Oscar worthy. I think. I I was shocked that not one actor in this movie got a nomination because I thought every one of them was Oscar worthy. No. Yeah, I agree. Um, and one that I thought was really underrated was the actress who plays. I think her name is Moon Guang. It's the 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 maid that the mother replaces, the nanny. Uh, she did, gave such a good performance because it's one of those double performances where she's kind of playing two characters. Mm-hmm. You know, the first half of the movie, she's this very refined, kind of aloof lady. She's very like uptight, and then the second half, she just kind of goes nuts. Like she just kind of goes full bonkers. She's kind of scary. <laughs> I know when she's looking in the camera, oh. she's like, yeah, yeah, it looks <laughs> and scary. she handles that <laughs> dual performance really well. That's tr- very true. God, that scene when when the family is coming from from the camp and the the what do you call it? The maid is going upstairs. Like she's t- her hands are tied behind her back. And she's like screaming, and then the mom hears her coming, and kicks her, <laughs> and then she flungs like down the stairs yeah, and yeah. knocks her head on the wall. Like the sound design in the theater when I saw that, literally like a thump, <laughs> my heart sunk. I'm like, holy crap, she's dead. She's but dead. But you're so glad. <laughs> but I still you're like, laughed. Wow, they- <laughs> and I laughed and I would gasp. It was awesome. And it's like a nervous laughter because you're like, oh no, like oh god. Yeah. <laughs> but that's another great example of how precise and, and well-timed every little movement is in this movie. And not only how integral it is to the story, but even how it contributes to some of the some of the comedy. Because in that shot, the mom, it's like this tiny little kick. Like, it takes no effort. It's a, it's a very small little push. And then a huge reaction. And that's like a funny little contrast. Like, a, a little push, and then thunk, 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 thunk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, it's a funny contrast, and you just can't help but laugh out loud, even though on the inside you're like, oh no, oh god, wait, hold on. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he definitely played with the whole not getting caught thing so many times. That's, like, what I really appreciate. He really milked it in a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Like, when they're under the table, when the parents are there, and, like, every little detail is kind of like, hi- you're hiding, you're hiding. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Even simple parts, so... Um. And the under the table is a, is a really good example of something Bong Joon Ho does in this movie, which is crazy to me. I've never seen another movie really do it to this extent, which is he uses like vertical levels to represent the characters' like statuses and like who has the power in every scene. Yeah. Even their houses, like yeah, the yeah, house yeah. is literally under the street. Right. And then of the course, like is up on a hill. Mm-hmm. And then the the even poorer family of um, Moon Gwang and her husband live like deep under the basement down this like long flight of stairs um it's not and it's not just their homes but again like in the table scene they're literally under them to the point where they they're not being seen and they're it's almost like they're being like quote unquote stepped on like they're like they're bugs or they're rats right by this rich family um who like has sex on the couch like right above them like that that's scene was disgusting awesome mm-hmm. it was it's so disgusting weird. but you're like you're like scarred but, like, in a good way. Well, ex- <laughs> so, because so you're weird, feeling just so as humiliated like... and grossed out as they are. Yeah. They, they'd be some freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that scene it's is funny. also really revealing about the rich family because it shows how sort of hypocritical they are and how they sort of, 
like romanticize the poor family or they're like oh buy me drugs you know <laughs> yeah. like let's do it in the back of the yeah. car i know it's he's gross. like do you stop those panties you saw the panties of the yeah. girl yeah it's, it's gross so but it's up. like imagine the poor family not only being right next to them for that and being that like disgusted and humiliated but like that then their awful situation like being romanticized by these people like what a big what bigger middle finger could they could there be you yeah know? and i think that really plays into the whole theme of like class and how these families if you switched them they'd probably act the same like if the rich family was poor and the poor family was rich they would be in the same scenarios as if they were normal yeah so, which is why i love that's such that a good point it's not like rich people are evil and poor people are good it's like no we can all be corrupted we can all be bad and not and it's all about your circumstances. it's all about your circumstance and your how heart far you're willing to just, go how far you're willing to go and it's and it's subtle too it's not like it's beating you up in the head and like being in your face yeah. like look look at the poor people don't do you feel bad it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's uh it's so good so good so yeah. so so good now, I have to ask the inevitable question. Was there anything you guys didn't like about it? I'm trying to think. To be honest, the first time I watched it, there was just stuff I didn't get. And so I couldn't quite give it like a, like a, fi- like a five-star review on Letterboxd, right? I couldn't, I couldn't quite give it. I think I gave it like four and a half. Second time I watched it, I was like, you know what? This movie's on to something. Like, this movie's better than I thought. And I, like, moved it up on my, like, favorites list. And then the third time I watched it, I finally went, I I can't find a single thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I think at first I didn't like the ending because I was just kind of like, oh, great. That's what that's after all that. That's what happened. But that's it really plays into like the theme and how you're supposed to kind of like not what goes around comes around, but kind of like accepting who you are what i have no idea what that means <laughs> no i, I get you know, though i get what you mean yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i mean like like kind of your situation sometimes can be inevitable and i don't know mm-hmm. you know what i mean that doesn't make sense yes. that sounds so, so like pessimistic but i mean he ends up spoilers he ends up being like even lower than he already was you know what i mean yeah so that that ending where he goes back to find his father and he buys the house when he grows up, do you guys interpret that as as his fantasy or a glimpse into the future? Fantasy. Me too. See, I I think it's a fantasy. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. He's way too far for that to actually happen. Yeah. I think it's a fantasy as well. And I think the last shot is indicative of that when it cuts back from that fantasy to him in the present and he's still yeah, he's looking up but he's still below. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's so good how he says, but until then. And then you're like, oh. Like when he looks up, I, I get the sense that he knows what he has to do, but is it actually going to happen? Like I got that from his face. It's like, I don't know. I The dad's going to be there for, he might even die down there and stuff. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a sad ending, but it's, I think it's the most appropriate way to end that kind of story, honestly. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we have to say about um, Bong Joon Ho? I mean, Parasite. I think the more you watch it, the more you'll like appreciate it. Like, I feel like the next time I watch it, I'll catch even more things. 
where I'll be like, wow. Like, I feel like there's kind of a lot of little Easter eggs. Like we said, like, crossing the line and the rock. Right. So I feel like there's some that we still don't know about that we will in the future when we watch it. So what do you guys rate it? 10 out of 10, baby. Yeah. Me too. Total 10. 10 out of 10. Total best picture. Much better than Green Book. Um, <laughs> I'm glad this won instead of 1917. Um, I would have been very upset if 1917 won, but I'm glad. Uh, I did. I did like 1917. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been mad. I like it too, but Parasite is much better. That's much true. better. 1917 is. Uh, it's a little schmaltzy, but we can talk about 1917 another time if we if we Sh- ever bring schmaltzy? it up. Schmaltzy? You I mean think so. like the light? <laughs> The lighthouse isn't schmaltzy. I'm just trying to do a crappy segue. Oh, you're a crappy segue. Oh my god. Speaking so of. Was like, uh, the lighthouse is not schmaltzy at all. Me? <laughs> Speaking of the light, let's talk about. <laughs> the house. Marriage story. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. No, um, <laughs> what is the next film we were talking The lighthouse. Um, it's my favorite film of 2019. If you are my friend, If you are my family member, if you know me, you know this already. (laughs) I literally go up to you and say, watch The Lighthouse. It's on Amazon Prime, watch The Lighthouse. And then I leave because I love The Lighthouse. Yeah, sorry. Fun fact, we all saw this movie together for the first time. We did. We saw it at the Arclight. And I can personally confirm, this is a true story. After we saw the movie, Sebastian did not speak a single word for at least like four minutes no no more. it was like 15 it was like 15 we, we walked we walked out of the theater and like into like out out of the building to the sidewalk we we're like walking back to the car and we're me and alex are literally going sebastian what did what did you think did you like it and he was just like Mm-mm, give him give him a minute like, he was just still processing mouth open yeah, yeah mouth open <laughs> Sebastian, like, was... He I remember was him being obsessed. so struck by this movie. And I loved it, too. It was yeah, great. Um, I saw it four times in the theater, I think. Uh, really? Yeah. In theater? Oh, yeah. Wow. I paid I every time to go see it again. Four times. <laughs> um, I loved it even more. I've probably seen the film a total of six times. Probably. Or seven. I don't know. But, um... For those who don't know, The Lighthouse is a film from Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch, which is another great film. Uh, and it's about two lighthouse keepers, or wikis, uh, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And they are um, basically to take care of the lighthouse for four weeks. And we watch them go mad. And it's wonderful. And it's <laughs> uh, the best acted, the best shot scored and just overall polished film of all time okay i wouldn't say that but it's uh, <laughs> it's i genuinely would call this film a masterpiece it's not and um i mean for me personally it has everything that i want in a movie it's funny it's it's stark it's uh creepy it has brilliant brilliantly acted the there's so much attention to detail and much like a film that i noticed was very similar to it like the shining there's so much you can get out of it it's pretty crazy how similar it is to the shining they're about people in an isolated place going crazy and 
at even some point, Willem Dafoe chases uh, Pattinson with an axe. Like how That's Jack true. Nicholson chases his kid There's with an axe. That was probably like an intentional homage from Robert Eggers. Oh, totally. And much like, again, like, like I said, like with The Shining, there's so much you can get out of the movie, but it still works on its own as a story about two guys going crazy. And it's, yeah, I adore this movie. Uh, what do you guys think of it? It's my favorite hyper-surrealist, nightmare-fuel, black-and-white masterpiece. <laughs> How many have you seen? Uh, probably just the one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this movie's insane. Like, it's genuinely extremely surrealist. It, it will give you nightmares upon nightmares, but you'll enjoy them. They'll be fun nightmares. <laughs> uh, yeah. This movie's crazy. The imagery in this movie is so startling and like mermaid vaginas freaking tentacles everywhere it's insane this is true this is true you see a mermaid vagina and it's enormous willem dafoe stands buck naked with lights shining out of his eyes and then he like opens his mouth and it's just like a horn wonderful it's wonderful it is incredible (laughs) so go see it yes we are spoiling the lighthouse yes because we have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Total Spoilers for Lighthouse. It's um, it's on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, watch it. I, I do. So I did also love The Lighthouse. I haven't seen it as many times as you have. Um, so it hasn't, it hasn't stuck with me as much. But I, I loved it when we saw it. And um, yeah, I mean, I was speaking. But I, I was still like very awestruck walking out of the theater. Like, what did I just watch? Yeah. Like, I, I loved it. I don't know why, necessarily, because it was insane, but I loved it, you know? Yeah, definitely. But that's the point, I think, right? There's a lot to unpack. Like, I feel like... Yeah. I feel like the whole thing is all about... You don't really know what's going on, but you are enjoying it. And that's kind of how they they feel on the Not island. enjoying it. Maybe not enjoying <laughs> it, but... Robert Pattinson doesn't really know what's going on either. You're just laughing at misery, honestly. It's a total yeah. miserable film, but you're laughing you're at it. You're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's fart jokes. There's yeah. poop jokes. There's all these. I, I, think, I think this film utilizes the fart joke better than any film I've ever seen. Uh, it's probably. The, this is probably the only time where there were fart jokes in a film and I didn't go, really? really? Come on. Honestly. Because you know? uh, they I actually, laughed. they work in this film and they kind of have a purpose. Yeah, it's um, for one, weird to, say. to make it funny. And two, to represent just how disgusting Defoe's character is. Yes. And how much of a nightmare it must be to room with him. <laughs> so, um, um, I think comparing this to The Shining is a really good point that I hadn't thought of, actually. Because there's a million things going on in this movie. A million different metaphors and allegories. And I don't think either movie are meant to say one thing, to have no. one theme. I think they're just meant to be these kind of, like, crazy movies with a lot, a lot of, like, crazy imagery that pull from a lot of different sources mm-hmm. and just give you this, like, wild ride experience. And each person can watch it and get something different out of it, which I love. That's something what I... Um, sorry, go ahead, Pops. And I think uh, The Shining is a really good comparison in the way that a lot of the time you don't know if what's real and what's fake. You don't know yeah. if the character's imagining it. You don't know if it's actually happening and i actually watched um kind of right before this actually i watched an interview with robert pattinson talking about how this movie is basically the whole theme is like up for interpretation and how like the audience not only the audience it's up for interpretation but 
Robert Pattinson was saying that he asked Robert Eggers on the set, like, so are some of these, like, what parts are supposed to be, is this like a magical island or is he imagining it? And Robert Eggers looked at him and said, why don't you decide? Just, just you just decide oh, for yourself. Awesome. And same for William Dafoe, like, they, they kind of all film this with like a different perspective, not knowing exactly That's awesome. what's what. And you really, really, really see that in their characters. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, which, yeah. Which adds so, to the sur- surrealness of it. Um, yeah. I just found that really interesting that Robert Pattinson said that. Because he was like, even I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't even game. know what it is about. And I was like, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, back to like, what you were saying, Paps, of how like, even Eggers was trying to say that, you know, um, make up your own type of, like, t- like, you think of what you think it means, right? Um, I actually, since I had seen the movie many times already, I watched it this time with the audio commentary from Eggers and, um, not once does he explain what any of the things mean. He was just talking about the technical side of it and what happened on the set, not explaining what the light is, what the images mean, what the ending means. He just like, oh yeah, we shot this here. Um, it took uh, these kind of topo takes. I'm like, okay, well, what does it mean? And he never said anything, which is great. That's good. Yeah. Um, it's very I personally interpretation. have my own, uh, what do you call it? Interpretation of what the movie is. I honestly think it's about religion and um, how, because at some point, Willem and um, Pattinson are eating right there um and uh pattinson asks willem um i I didn't even know the character's name ephraim winslow winslow asks wake um so what happened to your other second what happened to the person that used to work here and uh, willem says uh well he died he went crazy and saying that that there was he believed that there was something like some enchantment in the light and saying that it brought salvation and um and i'm like oh so and so i thought and knowing that each character represents a greek god with uh willem dafoe representing proteus the greek god of the the sea with his mighty stature his knowledge of the sea the incredible monologue that he tells pattinson which is probably my favorite monologue in any movie ever I can't believe that didn't even get him a nomination for an Oscar. It should have given him a win. I don't even want to talk about it. That gives I don't me think any sense. other actor could have successfully performed that monologue. It would have come off so ridiculous. Brad did he, did he blink once? Did good. No. <laughs> and once upon a time in Hollywood, but the foe's performance completely washed any sort of competition. Defoe honestly. delivering that monologue is my profile picture on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah. is. He yeah. didn't blink. No, he didn't blink. blink. I wrote that down right here. He he didn't even blink once. Yep. Because he was so... Yeah, just so into it. And and if you listen to the words he's saying, it's exactly what happens to Pattinson at the end of the movie. And, like, the curse of that his organs will be splattered out and, and and the souls of dead sailors will feast on it. The dead sailors are the seabirds. Oh, the seabirds. Oh. And um, so, I mean, again, there's so much to get out of it, like with uh, 
I think, because during the whole movie, Pattinson is kind of sinning. He's masturbating. He's, um, he's lustful over the mermaid. He has these thoughts of murder and thoughts of... And he's even murdered a man. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? He has, he has a bad temper. He, he, he has a bad the temper and the he, he just... Yeah. And at the end of the film, when he wants to go to the light, he's not allowed or he's not, he's not worthy. That's what I see it. I see that he's not worthy. And so at the end of the film, he's punished to be doomed and eaten by the seagulls, by the rocks for all eternity. And, um, and I also see like the light representing what the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil or like, um, even like there's even themes of obviously masculinity with the lighthouse looking like a giant phallic object. (laughs) <laughs> which is um, which is noted in the script. It, the script literally oh yeah. says the lighthouse, like, has the shape of a giant palace. <laughs> oh yeah, and at even at some point, there's a shot where they show the lighthouse in a uh, horizontal way, and then it, and then it shows up in a vertical way, and it's like, oh, that's a boner. <laughs> so <laughs> that's when he was masturbating. And so it's like, yeah, that he's turned on. And so like, there's Man, we're just gonna so get much... the show canceled. <laughs> Honestly, no. But um... first, it's Mrs. Incredible. <laughs> All right, you know hey. you agree. <laughs> I'm I'm talking too much, Colby. Sorry, say something. No, no, you're you're fine, dude. Um, I love your interpretation. That's super interesting, and I hadn't really, I hadn't grasped it that specifically. I kind of had a similar idea of it just being about obsession. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a really interesting take. One thing that I would love to talk about is just the performances. Like I said with Willem Dafoe, I, I could not believe that these two actors weren't nominated. I thought they should have won without any contest. I thought Pattinson oh, yeah. should have got best lead and Dafoe should have gotten best supporting. Um, oh, yeah. I was pretty for shocked that sure. The Lighthouse only got nominated for cinematography. Because Which that sort of implies deserve. that it definitely deserved it. But it, that sort of implies that the Academy members saw the movie but didn't think it was worthy of other nominations yeah, which is crazy which is to pathetic. me i thought it was it's the biggest like, like, like snub of the year <laughs> yeah because then I could, at least i could be like well they didn't see it if they did then they would nominate it but mm. that's crazy i mean i thought easily best lead actor best um best supporting actor best sound design uh best sound. director i mean i, I was really i was really the shocked sound. best editing yeah. The sound it's design's probably crazy. the best edited film of 2019. Next to Parasite. Like, Parasite had great The pacing is great. Not once are you bored. Everything has a purpose to it. It's, yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, you're good, dude. You're good. Um, but wh- one thing I, w- I would love to talk about is how this film's in black and white. Because personally, I'm, ver- I'm usually bothered when... <clears throat> when Ooh, that's a <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, it personally bothers me a lot when movies uh, uh, are in black and white and there's not really a reason for it because it just comes off as um, pretentious. Total you know? hipster mm-hmm. pretentious. Um, Raging Bull works yes. in black and white. There's a reason for Raging Bull to be in black and white. Oh, um, but and this, is, this is a hot take. This is my opinion. Manhattan <gasps> has no reason to be in black and white. I think Manhattan is like really pretentious and just comes off very like self-indulgent. <laughs> I haven't okay. seen it either. Okay. Well, so it is no, Woody Allen. No, no, I'm not getting in a fight here. But if you want to fight me, tweet. No, don't don't do that. Um, but <laughs> this movie, like, kind of has to be in black and white, because yeah. I think 
if it was in color, then the location where they shot would look too pretty. And like, no, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It really exemplifies the like gloominess, you know. It's interesting because usually you want your movie to look beautiful, <laughs> you know. Like you, like if you're gonna shoot in this beautiful like island with like these like bright blue seas, like yeah, like capture that. That's awesome. But this movie does the opposite. Like this movie is ugly. Not in a way that represents a, a cinematographer who isn't good at their job, but in a way that rep- like reflects how the director was so intentional about... The audience needs to understand that Robert Pattinson's character's situation, being stuck on this island, is hell. Yeah. yeah. It's his personal hell. It's, it's gloomy. It's gross. It's grimy. The scene where he takes a bucket of poop and like goes to throw it off the cliff and the wind I blows it that. back in his face. He's and screaming. he just starts screaming. <laughs> Scream. <laughs> Fantastic. It's so good. It's a great scene. And, like, yeah, like, the whole movie being in black and white makes it feel so dark and grimy. And it also uh, just reflects the time period because, uh, you know, also the aspect ratio reflecting yeah, just how photos... that's what I was going to say. Not only is it in black and white, it's filmed with black and white negative with old-timey lenses made in the 1890s, and it has a 119.1 aspect ratio. So the second... That you see the film, you feel like you're immediately transported back in time. You know what, yeah, you know where you're, what time you're supposed to be at. Yeah, like, you you don't feel like you're in 2020. You feel like you're in back in the day in the 1890s with these and characters. And you feel the grossness of that and the griminess. And the, yeah, you, yeah, you see every pore, every mm-hmm. every pimple, every little spot on their faces, all the close-ups. The close-ups here in this film are, by the way, some of the best. They're very Bergman close-ups. All and very, of the framing. The framing of the shots is all purposeful. Yeah. Um, and what I love about it is that while it is very masterfully done, never do you feel like Robert Eggers is looking down on you like a filmmaker. Because it's like, there's fart jokes. There's <laughs> exactly. poop jokes. You know what I mean? He's yeah. just really good at what he does. Yeah. Going into this horror movie that everybody was calling a masterpiece, I didn't expect it to be so funny. But it's oh, really funny. There's it's a lot of really great, funny. like, dark comedy in this movie. Um, like when, uh, obviously, the scene when the sequences of them drunk. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> Hilarious. I love and the when cut, oh. the cutting. To, yeah, like, when like it fucking. cuts to them dance. Like, probably the first time <sighs> we had a laugh out loud moment. I remember Paps and I like laughs a lot. Was when Willem Dafoe was trying to tell him a story of when he had uh, slept with a, with the what is it? With a nun. Oh. Pretty lad she was. And I was, and like, just like, and they were smoking and everything, yeah. and they were yes, clearly drunk. Just the cutting of it was great. Perfect comedic timing. Mm-hmm. And then of them dancing, um, Robert the... Pattinson literally spazzing as he's dancing. Yes. And then it cuts to them, like, basically slow dancing, which is perfect. <laughs> they did not have to go that hard in that scene. <laughs> they, <laughs> they were, like, hard. running both they of those actors hard. kind of went through hell to make this movie and i just respect that so much yeah i just they both committed so hard i mean the scene where where robert pattinson's character walks through the freezing cold water at midnight he did that for real and he did like 25 takes or something oh, yeah. like that that i read I, I don't know the exact number but he did a bunch of takes like he kind of put himself in a lot of pain there's a scene in this movie where willem dafoe on camera straight up gets buried alive yeah I mean, best Dirt buried alive scene since Kill Bill 2. his mouth and his nose. It's, <laughs> yeah. You're just it's watching. So it's so hard to It's 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 gross. like a car crash. Yeah. Honestly. It's like a car crash. It's yeah, yeah. so like, I don't want to look, but I can't look away. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. just like, it's going to go in his mouth. 
<laughs> you you can like, literally see a clump of dirt like hit him in the eye and him like recoil. He's like, oh god, like that sucks, dude. That's awful. And at the end, when when Pattinson goes to the light, just how much he screams, like it's hard to get to that level of m- yes m- insanity. Yeah, without it like coming off as ingenuous. Yeah, like the sound was actually like creaking. Or like what what is yeah. the term? Like the sound was like all buzzy. The bass was like all Yeah, it was <laughs> just from his screams. Like the memes were like <laughs> Yeah. And that's another great example of the sound editing being really good. How that how yeah. it slowly fades out his scream into the uh that that like intense buzz and you're just like overwhelmed yes. by the sound. Yeah. It's the insane. sound design the sound of the actual lighthouse or like the horn mm-hmm. yes it's so good and it's and just blaring the entire time You're yes f- but it's not annoying no it's, it's not, not. Like you really notice it you're just like there it is everything but it, it, it's yeah it shows that they're stuck there with that noise <laughs> just from the beginning there's like I noticed like there's not a single word of dialogue until like five ten minutes into the movie and everything is shown to you visually, like them in the in the boat, which looks very Murnau, Nosferatu, uh, German expressionist, which I love. And um, and then the great shot in the beginning when you see the lighthouse in a wide shot and the other lighthouse keepers um, leaving the lighthouse, they're holding the car- um, something together, like if they're one person, you know, like they're... It's clear that during these four weeks, they've become uh, a team. And um, whereas Pattinson and Defoe are carrying their things separately, kind of showing visually work needs to be done for these two to bond. And right in the beginning, when they're eating dinner, there's de- there's tension. Right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's, all, there's just um, him being um, not wanting to drink. And uh, Defoe taking offense to that and uh, talking and obviously the hard work and labor that he has put through, which is really funny. But it's also like, geez, like this poor guy has gone through really bad hell and makes sense as to why he, he goes crazy. His mind. Yeah. He loses his mind. Yeah. But what do you, I want to know what you guys think. Do you actually think that Defoe was manipulating him to go crazy? Or was Pattinson thinking he was actually a maniacal person to justify um, him trying to kill him or him trying to leave the island? Because the first time seeing it, I saw it like Defoe wanting to um, putting like the the mermaid thing on the bed. Because um, at some point in the movie, after Defoe chases him with an axe, he, uh, that Pattinson goes to him and says, like, I know what you did. You killed your second person. You killed your mate. I saw his head on the, on the, on the crab or the lobster cage. And, um, you know, you influenced him. You tricked him and you were doing that to me, but, uh, I'm free from your designs, he says. And, um, and even Willem Dafoe tells him, you're out there right now trying to chase me with an ax and chop me up. And you're like, what? No, you were doing that. Mm-hmm. And so it's both like, the audience is going crazy with the character or like um you're not too sure what actually happened you know what i mean and i personally at first thought oh the foe is manipulating him to be crazy but a second time seeing it 
I saw or saw or at least thought Pattinson was we're in his mindset that we're seeing things that weren't there and that Defoe was actually kind of not that bad and um, ended up killing him mainly because he was already kind of insane. Yeah, uh, I kind of lean towards a lot of it's in his head. Uh-huh. Me too. Like, we're seeing it from his imagination. But at the same time, I'm not sure. And yeah. that's why I like it. Yeah, it's hard to say, and I think that's You're the really point. confused. Yeah. I mean, the movie but, really does take you on the journey of the descent into madness with Robert Pattinson in a really mm-hmm. immersive way. Yeah, no, yeah. definitely. So yeah, it I'd was say... it was kind of like at the end when they were fighting and punching each other, um, because Defoe kind of starts to whimper, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Get off me! Like, stop punching me! You're gonna kill me!" At that point, I was like, "Oh, maybe we're just kind of in Pattinson's he- Pattinson's head, and he's picturing these terrible things happening to him, mm-hmm. like yeah. Defoe calling him a dog and stuff, and he's just going crazy and he's killing him for no reason." But each time I see it is different, which I love. And, you know, you can't. But one thing for sure I can always get out of it is the themes of like religion, masculinity, and like what, what I think men, what men think they deserve and what they get and stuff, stuff like that. You know, it's kind of Lord of the Flies. It it takes mm-hmm. two very masculine, at least you know they try to be masculine people. And places them in isolation and, like, breaks down and, like, challenges their masculinity. Um, yeah. And then, like you said, they end up slow dancing, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, do we have anything else to say about the movie? Nine out of ten, baby. That's what I give it. Yeah. I'd give it a nine out of ten as give well. Give it a nine. Yeah, no, it's a ten. Obviously. It's a <laughs> Nine uh, and a half, I'd say. Nine and a half. We're doing halves now? Is that allowed? Like, like... <laughs> Is that allowed? <laughs> Is that allowed? Like a four point... A very high nine. Yeah. If okay. we if we were like, going five, if we were going five stars, I think halves would be allowed. Yeah. <laughs> but out of ten... Okay, I'm so fine. A nine. <laughs> I'm like, sorry to follow the rules. <laughs> I have so I have funny. a whole binder, and according to uh, Article Two, Subsection A. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! I'm just kidding. According to the contract. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a constitution. You're like a thick contract. <laughs> Imagine. Amateur cast contract. The amateur cast. Amateur contract. Amateur contract. <laughs> yeah. That's just law school. Oh. You hear that, you law students? What law students are listening to this? It's just a random law If you're a law student and you're listening, thanks. I'm glad you enjoy it. But Thank yeah. you should so probably much. be studying because you have a big you old test coming up. probably study. <laughs> I wanted to be a director, but my dad told me to be a law student. Amateur cast has inspired me. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what speaking, I'm saying. Speaking of directors, <laughs> you know who's a good director? <laughs> Noah Baumbach. Brad Pitt. Just oh, Brad Pitt. What? Speaking of Brad Pitt, just have you seen Moneyball? <laughs> Did you guys ever see Ad Astra? I'm starting to think Megamind. Seth doesn't know what movie I'm picking today. <laughs> yeah, my 2019 pick is Megamind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, no. Um, if we're moving on to my movie, um, we definitely are. my yes. pick 
is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-mm-mm. Let me explain why. Here's the thing. Okay. Is oh, Once Upon he, a Time in Hollywood... He has an explanation. Is it the best movie of 2019? No. The best movie is Parasite. Easy. The Oscars totally got it right. I'm so glad it won Best Picture. Is it the most revolutionary movie of 2019? No. That's probably Portrait of a Lady on Fire or The Lighthouse. Heck yeah. Um, but I picked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's my personal favorite. And it's just, it just, I just vibed with it. It's just my jam. <laughs> it's just that it's kind of jam, movie, that, that very, like, hangout comedy that's sort of very, like, stylized and just really memorable, just has really, like, iconic imagery, while also just being, like, fun and, like, immersive. Like, that's my, that's my jam. You guys know that Baby Driver is my third favorite movie. Like, that's kind of ridiculous for like a film student i feel like most people are like really baby driver is your third favorite movie not like kurosawa or kubrick but i'm like guys i just dig like fun stylized stuff yeah we have um, taste that's your taste <laughs> yeah i just i just dig that stuff it just i just vibe with it personally and like i you know parasite is probably the most impressive movie of the year but once upon a time in hollywood i just i just loved it i've seen it four times now um, I got the Blu-ray, like, as soon as I could with, like, all the special features, and I watched all the deleted scenes, and it's so fun. Um, but I, I do think there's something to be said about this movie. I, I think it's gonna kind of go down as, not a cult classic, because it's a little bit more too popular for that, but sort of that same kind of popularity. I think, um, it's really comparable to, like, Big Lebowski, where it's this really kind of weird, offbeat, like, quirky comedy. And when you first see it, you're kind of like, what was the point? Because um, it's just a lot of people, like, hanging out and just, like, talking weird. Um, yeah. And then everything just kind of goes nuts in the third act out of nowhere. Um, and then it just has this, like, weirdly uplifting ending. But, yeah. um, again, spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again. It's, it's very much like Big Lebowski, but I think, like Big Lebowski, it's going to go down as this very, like, quotable movie with really memorable characters. You Iconic. Know? Yeah, it, there's a lot in this movie that very much it, I, I think will be iconic. I think Brad Pitt's, not just his character and, like, the, his lines, but, like, the way he dresses will be iconic. Um, I dressed up as Cliff Booth for Halloween this year, or last year. Yeah. He did, like, and he was the cutie. He oh, did. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just think, like, I his tried. look and, like, Leo's look, like, I think, I yeah, tried. I try. That's my favorite oh, line oh. in the movie, just... I I think people will quote that in 10 years. <laughs> Sorry, she. that's the only bad word I'll say. <laughs> Probably I think, my favorite um, one will be, and away we go. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite one. I think the, the last same time way... I saw it, I watched that part four times. <laughs> <laughs> and away we go. And, and I laughed harder every time. That's great. Oh, Sorry. Brad Pitt's so funny Kobe. in it. No, you're good. Um, I think in the same way that like people quote the big Lebowski 20 years later, just being like, I don't like the Eagles, man. You know, or... Or, I am not the Big Lebowski, I am the dude, or the dudester, or Duderino, you know? Am I the like, only one, blah, blah, blah? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or Steve Buscemi, like, I am the walrus, I am the walrus, I am the walrus. <laughs> um, I think that in 20 years, people will be going, I try, or away we go, or, you know what I mean? Or, um... Um, I'm here, no, I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's business. I'm as real as a donut. Like, that kind of, he's like, just stuff nah, like that. Was dumber, dumber than, than that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was something dumber than that. Shoot him, Tex. <laughs> Shoot him, Tex. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Or, um, or, um, when, 
Steve McQueen, or is it Steve McQueen? Am I getting the names mixed up? The actor who plays, I think it's Steve McQueen, goes, um, yeah, I never stood a chance. <laughs> when they're talking about uh, Sharon Tate and how, you know, her husband looks like a 12-year-old boy. Like, stuff like that. It's just, it's such a very, like, like iconic, I feel like, movie. And I feel like, I was really glad that it won Best Production Design because I feel like it did such a good job replicating the 60s. And I love Little Women. I'm glad that got the Oscar. But um, I really like the costume design in this movie, too. And I think there's something to be said for a costume design that really sticks out. And um, it's sort of... This movie has a central color um, in the same way that, like, every shot of The Matrix has a little green or every shot of La La Land has a little purple. Uh, this movie has a lot of yellow, which I feel like is a good reflection of this movie. It's like a summer fun hangout comedy sunny california yeah sunny california um but i also think that's why a lot of people didn't like it because it is tarantino and the last couple tarantino movies were like django unchained the hateful eight inglorious bastards people go into this expecting like tension like raw tension and a lot of gore and you know it's manson manson's in it too so people are expecting um like a really yeah, it really intense. And there are moments um, of that. Yeah, there are great moments of tension. But I, I actually think Tarantino's style is really well suited for comedy. I feel like I'm a little sad that Tarantino's next movie is supposed to be his last one because I feel like he's sort of finding a new stride as like a comedy filmmaker, and I want to see more of that. Like he, his comedy's hilarious in this movie, it's and his I think funniest it's funniest movie for sure. For sure, I think it's the only. Uh, Tarantino movie that's like labeled first and foremost as comedy genre like if you yeah. go on like IMDB I think um, the other ones like maybe like Jackie Brown would have comedy as like the third that, genre yeah but they'd be but, like crime or yeah it's like it's like crime drama thriller with a little comedy um, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his is his first like straight up number one genre is comedy um, and it's so funny this movie's so funny yeah, it's funny. Um, I know. The performances are really great. Brad Pitt just oozes charisma, you know? Um, it's so fun. I still stand by. I feel like he plays himself. He, I think yeah. a lot of characters play them. Well, for one, you know, Tarantino wrote Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton with Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Brad Pitt in mind, like specifically. So they kind of are playing themselves. And I didn't know, realize this till after I watched the movie and started watching... Uh, uh, interviews with Leonardo DiCaprio, but he kind of has the same like stammering mannerisms that uh, Rick Dalton has. The stuttering. Yeah. He kind of has that same like nervous energy. Um, he's not as much of like a ditz as uh, as Rick Dalton. Okay. You know, but yeah, <laughs> and then Brad Pitt's the the opposite. Yeah, like, Brad Pitt is just so real life. He's really laid back. And yeah, and so is his character. I kind of feel like Brad Pitt like, just started acting like Cliff Booth after this movie came out. Like, if you watch his interviews, he's just... Right? He has channeled Cliff Booth. I feel like this I movie know. ushered in a new phase of Brad Pitt's life where his new philosophy is like, I'm chill. Like, whatever. It's <laughs> kind of true. I try. It's very true. <laughs> I try. Um, and I think one of the... I think Love one it. of the best comedic performances in the movie is Julia Butters, who's, like, nine... Oh yeah, that girl Dude, is she crazy. She's gonna be big one day, man. Yeah, she's for sure. crazy. Um, she's so funny in this movie, and when she when she stands up to Leonardo DiCaprio and she's like, "I don't like names like like sourpuss <laughs> or something like that," mm-hmm. and then she's like, 
but since you're upset, we'll talk about that later. Like, she is so good. She really holds her own with the adults in this movie, man. Very true. Yeah. So she has really good confidence. What was your guys' experience? Oh, yeah, the soundtrack is... We love the soundtrack. Phenomenal. Um, I have listened to Son of a Lovin' Man, like, so many times since this movie came out. It's, like, the number one on my playlist now. (laughs) Dude, the version of... The version of California Dreaming, I've listened to that (laughs) so many times. Because that version is so good. I love it. It feels very um, bittersweet, that song. I know. What was your guys' experience with this movie? Because, personally, when it came out for me... And this is probably one of the reasons why, even if I don't think it's necessarily the best, it just stuck with me the most, is because when this movie came out, I had been, at that point, so disappointed with 2019. Um, yeah. And in yeah. hindsight, is one of my favorite uh, year for fil- years for film in recent memory, but kind of all the great ones, in my opinion, came at the end. Yeah, in the fall. The only, totally. Yeah, the only films I really loved before this one were, like, Midsommar and... Probably Endgame, but that's more like a fun, like, Mm. popcorn movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, This movie came out, and I was just thinking, like, I don't, I can't, I don't have a favorite film of 2019 that I can say that I'm, like, proud of at this point, you know? And then I I was, like, really hoping it would be this movie, and then I saw it, and it just was. It just worked for me. I just walked out, and I was like, yep, there, I found it. I found the one. I'm sticking with it. Um... What was your guys' experience with this movie, uh, going into it, both with the context of, like, 2019 and of the rest of Tarantino's filmography? Well, I saw it with you the first time. But it oh, was that's true. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. And you just told us, it is so good. And I remember you being like, but you said something about the ending. You're like, and the ending is controversial, but I like it. Okay. <laughs> or you said something like that, and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I just really liked it. Yeah, I definitely expected more action, more gore and like intensity but i'm glad that it wasn't because we got to see a different side of tarantino's direction which it was yeah like you said it was really funny and i really like movies where you're kind of just like like the chill out movies you know like hangout movies i really liked that genre where you kind of just there's not like a super super strong narrative but you're still following a character and seeing what they're gonna do and obviously there's still like heavy plot but yeah I just really really enjoyed it and the ending a lot of people are like eh, I didn't really like it but I thought it was really like brilliant yeah we, we should we should delve into the ending but um first Sebastian uh, what, what did you kind of what was your experience with this movie yeah I felt the same way Colby in the sense that this 2019 was disappointing i had seen that lion king remake by then and i was like 2019 is the worst year of all time and um i wanted to kill myself not uh but um but i had seen under the silver lake then hopefully we can talk about that movie another day but um which was my favorite film before the lighthouse um no before like all the other movies that i saw because i think like marriage story parasite right right right. are like better yeah, 2019 really, like, had a bunch of great movies come out all at once in the last two months. Yeah, yeah, But the I rest agree. of the year was pretty very dry. very true. Um, so, going in, it was a breath of fresh air, definitely. Um, like, right from the beginning when it says, a film by Quentin Tarantino, and I was like, oh, I'm at home. You know, like, with the yellow font and everything. 
It's like, I miss this. I miss going to the movies and seeing a great movie. And um, in terms of his filmography, I would say it's in the middle for me. Uh, I personally love more of his, not that they're gory, more of films of his that have tension and have like, like the beginning of a progression. Like revelations of the story. Yeah, yeah, sure. But like, um, like for me, I, I prefer Hateful Eight over this one, personally. Because um, not only do I love his tension, I love his dialogue. And there's a lot of talking in Hateful Eight. And it's so sharp, enough to draw blood, that I love it. And same thing here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like... His style is gone or anything. His dialogue here is still great. It's still snappy. It's still fun. But again, like, um, I was kind of taken back by the fact that nothing was really happening. But I was still enjoying it, too. It was like, oh, cool. Like, Tarantino is kind of maturing in a way. Like, he's becoming someone else. Uh, he's not trying to fall into his same shtick. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love his style. Some people just flat out don't like how insane his movies get. I love it. Like for oh, me, my it. personal favorite <laughs> of his is Kill Bill, which is probably his most stylized movie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction, but we can talk about those movies another day. But um, so, yeah. And then the entire time, I was, at first I was kind of taken back by it. But at some point I'm like, okay, so it's this kind of movie. So I just kind of sat back and decided to relax and enjoy it. And I did. And and obviously there are moments of Tarantino in there. Like when he goes, when Brad Pitt goes to Spawn Ranch, freaking yeah, intense that's scene. That's a very tense scene. It's very uh, Inglorious Bastards-esque. Yes, definitely. And speaking of Inglorious Bastards, the ending is extremely Inglorious Bastards where Tarantino rewrites history. And you guys were saying how some people were like, oh, I don't like it. I freaking love the ending of this movie. It is so satisfying yeah. and so awesome to just get these terrible, horrible, ugly, disgusting people who actually murdered innocent people and to humiliate them and show them as clowns and fools is so awesome. I loved it. And it's the same thing how he represented the Nazis and Hitler and the Glorious Bastards. Yeah. Just complete idiots. And I loved it. Like, to me, to show, like, wh what do you think, like, the Nazis and the evil people revel in? They, like, totally revel in being represented as powerful, as mm -hmm. these evil people that actually did something awful and made a movement. And, uh, like, they get turned on by that. And speaking of the Nazis, Jojo Rabbit did the same thing by yeah. completely humiliating them. And that's the way you actually, you do it. You don't like show it in a way that totally turns them on, but you just show them as complete imbeciles and fools. And that's what's going to piss them off. And the same thing with this. And this is why I was like, this is awesome. The flame, it becomes a complete the farce by the end of the movie. The oh. flamethrower. So, yeah. It's, when he uh, walks out of the shed with the flamethrower and the music's like, The music, yeah, it's so dramatic. Every it's so time over I the watch top. it, I scream. I torched one of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> is everyone that okay? The most... Well, the hippie sure, right? That's for damn sure. <laughs> <laughs> Burn to a crisp. Ah, oh, I love that scene. So, yeah, yeah, in terms of like movies in general, it's awesome. It's a yeah. lot of fun. But I also see it as like Tarantino's films and like 
where it stands up or stands in um and uh where it ranks in his uh all of his other films for me personally and um I noticed a lot of people who don't like Tarantino love this movie. Yeah. And um interesting. Which is weird because it's like it's still very much Tarantino, but I can also understand why because it's a very subdued laid back movie for yeah, the majority. Yeah, it's kind of like a watered down version. And um what do you call it um gosh, I oh crap, I lost my train of thought. But um in in terms, I think because this because the second time I saw it, I loved it even more. I saw it with Alex. I saw it with Alex and uh, she who will not be named for copyright reasons and uh, Adrian. Uh, Wait, so Adrian can <laughs> well, be we named? Can say but his not name. We can say his name. And um, oh, okay. what's her name? Cheney. Yeah. yeah, it's Voldemort. That's why we can't say Voldemort. it. Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> oh crap! Trademark. No, at that time I loved it even more, but uh, I seen it twice recently and so each, and there are there have been moments where i kind of just twitch in my seat like all right come on keep it moving keep it moving but um but if i am to like wait for a while and see it again i'm sure i would love it even more mm-hmm. you know wait I mean? can i say something yeah, yeah of course yeah. and i think like the reason the whole what am i trying to say the hang the <laughs> I can't say it. The hangout style where you're just kind of watching. I think that really works in this movie because you obviously know where the film is going because we already kind of expect the ending. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So you're you're able to sit and watch kind of like people just living their lives because you know eventually there's going to be a big ending scene. You know what I mean? So I think that's why it works really well. When she came out pregnant, I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh no. I like, you scared. know exactly where it's headed, so that's why you're okay with sitting back and relaxing, waiting for it. Yeah. And, Seb, I, I agree with you. I love the ending. And when she comes out and she's pregnant, I, I I guess and I guess this is, like, kudos to the pacing. Like, I didn't realize the movie was ending. I still thought there was more. Because, you know, I know that this is the Manson movie, and Sharon Tate's not dead yet. So when they get rid of Tex and, and the other two girls, I'm thinking, okay, well, that was one battle, but now there's still 30 minutes left of this movie and Manson's going to send another wave and they're going to go kill Sharon instead of Rick Dalton, right? But then it just ended and it took me a minute to be like, okay, so I guess this just takes place before Sharon died. And then I was like, wait, oh, it's it's the revisionist history. It's It's Tarantino, you know, taking history into his own hands again. And it's like you said, <clears throat> with Inglorious Bastards, um, a lot of people could take offense to the way that he makes the Nazis into a joke, or uh, with Django Unchained, the way he does that with uh, the KKK, you know? Oh, I um, love that. Yeah, but it's like you said, like... like <laughs> Jonah Hill. <laughs> if he was to portray them, you know, accurately as this big, powerful, evil thing, like, he would be giving them that power that they want, but what he's doing is he's delegitimizing them. Um, and it's the same thing that Jojo Rabbit does, and it's the same thing that Raiders of the Lost Ark does with the Nazis. It's it's taking them and making them these silly, goofy villains, because that's what they are. They're idiots, you They're know? Evil. They're evil. It's the same thing that Black Klansmen does with racists, although that yes. has a more realistic approach. Um, mm. It's delegitimizing them. And so, um, 
you know, the first time I watched Inglorious Bastards, I didn't like that they that they changed history and killed Hitler because I I think that was like my first Tarantino movie and I wasn't ready for his style yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might it might have been like my second, and I was just like that. I was like that doesn't make sense. Like why why did they do that? And the more I've watched it, the more I've been like, oh, I see what he's what he's doing here. You know, he's he's delegitimizing Hitler. Um, and then same with Django, like he's delegitimizing the KKK and like taking this african-american slave and like giving him a revenge fantasy right yeah, which is great. um so here in once upon a time in hollywood he's sort of doing a similar thing he's like getting back at manson who like took sharon tate who's like portrayed in this movie as this beautiful innocent angelic being oh um, yeah a both total tarantino, great portrayal yeah. of the actress both tarantino and margot robbie have spoken about how they really wanted to portray sharon tate as just this lovable creature um, which means that throughout the whole movie, there is sort of an underlying tension, even when it's not in a tense scene, because you know from history, oh, she's going to die, and I don't want her to die. She's so sweet. So then when she doesn't, you're caught off guard for a second, but you're so satisfied. You're like, he did it. Like, he took Sharon Tate back from Manson. You know? Yeah, because she's just not, she shouldn't just be remembered for her death, but she should be remembered for who she was. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yes. And yes, she's just I such a beautiful person. I reject your hypothesis. If you know what I mean. Oh, you know what I mean, Fox? I didn't even hear what you said. <laughs> I reject <laughs> your hypothesis. Where's that from? It's a Tarantino interview where somebody was like, uh, uh, you know, uh, you, you kind of didn't give Sharon, you didn't give Margot Robbie a lot of lines to Sharon Tate. Do you think that she's oh, yeah, lesser wait. as an actress because she's a woman or some stupid question like that? And he just goes, <laughs> I reject your hypothesis. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's the same so many savage interview moments. Yeah. It's the same thing he did with Django, where the guy was like, let's talk about how you use the N-word. And he was like, let's not. Let's not talk about it. I'm not doing that. <laughs> um, no. um, Seb, you were talking about Tarantino rankings. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll confess, my Tarantino ranking Oof. is kind of is wackus. Like, there's, <laughs> it's kind of janky. I think there's a lot of, of, of takes in there that would be considered hot in this room. Um, I have, like, <laughs> Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction and Hateful Eight at the bottom, and I oh have this movie and Django and Reservoir Dogs at the top. That's kind of like me, too. That's I like every Tarantino movie, but I just, I don't know, and I, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown are also hangout comedies, um, that sort of don't have a lot of, like, narrative drive, other than just the character development, mm, and I guess funny. it just didn't work for me as well in those movies. And I feel like, um, this is, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get myself in trouble here, but a problem that I've generally had with Tarantino is I feel like he tends to get a little tone confused. Um, like Glorious Bastards is a good example, which I have like in the middle of the list because, um, there's like three concurring storylines in that movie that culminate in the end. There's the bastards who have this like epic badass like stylized action sequence right where they all have these big flashy name introductions and then there's the michael fassbender mike myers uh storyline which is kind of like a comedy of manners satire where the british are like these um you know kind of like foppish uh uh high class people who are like oh you know um and then you have the shoshana sequence uh or that that storyline which is like brutally realistic and really elegantly shot and it's it's man it's good stuff all three of those are great and then when they culminate at the end i get a little bit like well these don't mesh together too well for me um and then with pulp fiction like you have 
you know, Vincent, uh, Vincent and Jules, who have this really funny banter, and they don't really take their, like, murderous job, like, too seriously. Like, they shoot a guy by accident, and it's, like, a funny scene. And then you have Bruce Willis, who is this really, like, mopey, like, serious boxer guy who's has this this chick that he like treats badly on a motorcycle and he's just like come on babe let's go and it just doesn't mesh for me <laughs> i think i think the reason the the hangout comedy works for me in this movie is because it's more tonally consistent like this movie it has those great moments of tension but it is a comedy and it is just sort of a laid back stylized comedy that ends with this really uplifting note of Sharon Tate and this really like fun revenge thing with the flamethrower like it's just a fun movie um and i think that's why i have it so high for tarantino hopefully we'll do a tarantino episode in the future um yeah and i'll, yeah, I'll pick a different to. movie i won't pick this one because i've already talked about it but uh yeah uh so i'm gonna give it a nine out of ten um yeah nine out of ten for me uh, i give it an eight out of ten awesome movie a lot of fun um Again, in the middle, but I think, like you said, Colby, it'll definitely get... It'll be definitely, like, one of those cult classics, like... Not like a cult classic, obviously it's more famous, but... A classic like Big Lebowski in the future, so... Or like Scott Pilgrim, where it's just kind or of... Or like Scott Pilgrim. It's got yeah. a very, sig- like, signature style, and it's just very quotable. Uh, with very memorable, like, characters and designs and oh. stuff. And the iconic actors in it, too. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, what have you guys been watching this week? So... I'll I'll recommend a, a new movie that I'm really excited is like on streaming now. It's on HBO. Um, it's called Bad Education with uh, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney um, and Ray Romano. I really enjoyed it. I you know I've been really keeping my eye out for like new f- like feature films on streaming because we can't go to theaters and I need new movies. Um, uh-huh. So I I really enjoyed Bad Education. I would say it's my favorite of the year so far. You know that's such a low bar because uh, there's like. <laughs> five movies you don't like onward what? <laughs> how dare you a kid's um, movie alex i actually have this podcast you should listen to where i talk about onward oh wait crap so do i i'll check it out oh really <laughs> but yeah bad education is a is a really great movie it's based on a true story and it's um it's about this uh sort of money laundering scheme uh scandal that happened with with uh i won't spoil it but it is a true story. Hugh Jackman is the best part. He gives such a good performance. One of his best. Uh, probably it. his best since Logan. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Since the greatest Since the greatest piece nope. of crap. Mm-mm. Didn't say that. Uh, hey, I like that movie. <laughs> you can talk you. about that piece uh, of crap. <laughs> Sorry, that was I mean. Like that <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I very Guilty much pleasure. recommend uh, Bad Education. And then awesome. uh, the other movie I watched recently, which I'm super late on this because it's like a classic that i never seen, uh, was Dirty Harry. And I oh. just, I loved it. Oh. And literally, like, the mo- like the minute it. after I watched it, I ordered the Blu-ray box set of the entire series. And I, it came, <laughs> like, today. So awesome. I'm, like, pumped to watch the rest of the series. Yeah. That was awesome. What about you, Seb? Uh, I've, I've seen some, yeah. I saw Sanic, the hedgehog. Oh. Uh, was not <laughs> that bad. <gasps> I... Didn't hate it? Okay, I haven't seen it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I well, even... I went in with low... Low, sure. low expectations, and Pixel's I kind of had fun. It I, okay. okay. I grew up watching Sonic playing his games. I loved the character. I was a I was a huge fanatic of Sonic. You can ask my parents. I had a Sonic party and everything. And <laughs> I, I I can draw him just from memory. That's like sick. Right now I don't even need to see a photo. So 
regardless of quality and how old I am, I had to see a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Like, there was no question. I had to see it. And I didn't find any way to see it in the theater. Like, we were kind of busy when it came out, and now this whole quarantine happened. So we're like, well, let's just wait until it's on VOD. And so we finally saw it, and it wasn't that bad. It's good. Yeah, it's not bad. But I just thought it was weird how it was the same movie as Hop. It was much better than Hop. <laughs> no, I know, but I it's like Hopper. the parallel with like James Just Marsden Hopper. with the CGI character in the yeah, car going on a road trip. It was super like a weird parallel. James Like, Marsden. how did he get cast in both of these roles? Just to repeat, it's not a good movie. It's not like it's anything great, but I really didn't Rating out of 10. hate it. I like a five, like a solid yeah, five. Yeah, that's fair. Which is really high, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I don't is know. Is five a passing it. grade? Uh, five is like, or are we going like like school system where it's like a like a seven is a passing grade. I don't know. That seems that seems too high. <laughs> I don't know. No, but like, I probably won't see it again. But I, <laughs> I True. didn't hate myself while watching it. So, yep. and uh, I rewatched Dead Poets Society with Robin Williams. Oh, and it's better than I remember it. Guys, There's... I still haven't seen it. I'm really? So Alex, you'll love it. Yeah. It's totally your jam. I know. There's Everyone so much about it that I resonate with. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that these people or these kids are not, they're kind of forced to be at this school and forced to do what they need to do and what really their hearts tell them to be artists, to create, to think. And I can really resonate with that. You know, like mm-hmm. how so much of people, they expect. And they even say in the movie, like, engineering, doctors, all these things, they're noble pursuits, mm-hmm. but poetry, love, and romance, that's what we live for. And it's like, yes, it's so true, and I don't know, something about it this time really made me very emotional while watching it. And yeah, I give it a 9 out of 10. It's a wonderful, wonderful movie. I love it. It's good. So, and, I th- yeah, that should be it. Yeah. What about you, What about Pat? you, Alex? Okay, so I finally watched, or finally finished watching Call Me By Your Name. Oh. Because uh-huh. I had only watched half of it, like, a long time ago. So I finally yeah. finished watching it. Beautiful. It's awesome. Loved it. Yeah. And then I finally watched Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. Oh, Taxi Driver is great. so good. <laughs> I love Robert De Niro. Oh my heart. That's probably his best performance next to Raging Bull. Raging Bull, yeah. It was so good. And I mean, that's, I, don't even I think that's my favorite score in any does. movie. Favorite score of any movie, Taxi Driver? I yeah. think so. Wow. The jazz that's in that is incredible. Yeah. That's like, isn't it like a saxophone? Balance. Yeah, it's a saxophone. Oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> Sorry. I know I keep talking. Paps, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not much to say that yeah. people don't already know. Yeah, it's exactly. A great movie. Yeah, so. if you haven't seen Taxi Driver, I mean, go watch Taxi Driver. What's wrong with you? Um, it's on Netflix. Watch it. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to shame you for not seeing movies. Through. We all have no. I'll shame you. Watch movies. it. Why haven't you seen okay, it? Okay, yeah, we'll shame you. Watch Taxi Driver. <laughs> 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 we'll go ahead and shame you. I shame my. I shamed myself. We'll, we'll shame you into having a really good Martin Scorsese experience. Yes. Um. All right. What are we going to be doing next week? Okay. Our so next, next week. Two weeks. Next or, episode. I don't uh, know. <laughs> Next time, <laughs> okay, a very so, special amateur cast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our next episode is going to be about 
Damien Chazelle. Yes. And obviously his newest film, The Eddie, is coming out. It's a, so it's a series, right? It's a oh, series. that's what I meant. Oh, like a limited series. So Not too much. I'm so sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Same, Same thing. It's just a really long film split episodes. <laughs> that's what I see it as. So it's going to be coming out on Netflix, so you already know we're going to be watching it and Heck talking yeah. about it. Oh, very exciting. And then we're going to dive into some different films by Chazelle and have a good debate because we already know we have some contrasting opinions about something. So More or less. Tune in next time. And it'll be really interesting, I swear. I can't wait. I cannot wait. So, thank you guys so much for listening. If you made it this far, I still can't believe you've listened. But we love you guys. Thank you to that law <laughs> student who was listening. Oh, Keep yeah, studying, thanks, bro. law student. Um, Keep studying, bro. You got this. You know, this when man. we get sued for saying something wrong on this show, you can defend us as our single uh, yes. legal fan. Um, you can defend us. Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Bye, everybody. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye.